Welcome to Supersized Science, where we feature research and discoveries nationwide, enabled by advanced computing technology and expertise at the Texas Advanced Computing Center of the University of Texas at Austin. I'm Jorge Salazar, a science writer at TAC. Astronomers have barely scratched the surface of mapping the nearly endless stars and galaxies of the heavens. Using supercomputers and the help of thousands of citizen scientists around the world, researchers with the University of Texas at Austin have now revealed the locations of more than 200,000 new astronomical objects. Their goal is to map even more and use that knowledge to predict the ultimate fate of the universe. The Hobby Eberly Telescope Dark Energy Experiment, or HETDEX, has scanned the dark skies of the Davis Mountains in West Texas since 2017 with a keen eye towards capturing spectroscopic data on the Lyman Alpha Frequency Light from neutral hydrogen emissions in galaxies over 10 billion light years away. These galaxies emit a signature wavelength of light from hydrogen that signals to astronomers the intense creation of new stars. For the first time, the researchers have cataloged astronomical objects, mapping over 51,863 Lyman-alpha-emitting galaxies at high redshift, 123,891 star-forming galaxies at lower redshift, 5,274 non-emission line galaxies at low redshift, and 4,976 active galactic nuclei, bright spots that signal the presence of black holes. The paper describing the catalog is published February 2023 in the Astrophysical Journal. On the podcast today to talk about their galaxy catalog study are Aaron Mentuch Cooper, a research scientist at the University of Texas at Austin. Cooper is the data manager for the HETDEX project. Also joining is Carl Gebhardt, the Herman and Joan Suit Professor in Astronomy at the College of Natural Sciences, UT Austin. Gebhardt is project scientist and principal investigator of HETDEX. Doctors Cooper and Gebhardt, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jorge. Uh, what are the main results of this study? What do you want to convince? This is our first public catalog release. It basically provides 50,000 redshifts of high redshift galaxies, which I think might be at least double, if not four times the amount of existing high redshifts at that you know range. So we've just exploded in terms of the number of redshifts. And the reason we want to know the redshift is because it tells us the distance to these objects. And so ultimately what HETDEX wants to do is find a million of them. This is only a small percentage of what we will ultimately find, but it's that starting point. And so the catalog itself has 50,000 redshifts of these high redshift galaxies, which we call Lyman alpha emitters. And then also in the catalog are a number of other galaxies. There's 150,000 uh, low redshift uh, star forming galaxies. We've got like 40,000 stars and, and another 10,000 um, other galaxies. So what it really does is it provides these spectroscopic redshifts, which uh, we've been able to pinpoint you know, the distance to these sources based on their spectroscopy, which is, is actually generally hard to do because you try, you actually need to me measure multiple absorption lines and emission lines in these galaxies. And this, this instrument we have called virus just provides us with this spectroscopy to measure these distances. Uh, so we're providing a really high number of redshifts uh, to the community. Um, One thing, uh, Jorge, that is, uh, that I would say is that HETEX is unique from other surveys. 
we are what we call an untargeted survey. Um, and the easiest way to think about it is that we are blanketing the sky with spectra. Whereas previous surveys would take a picture of the sky and then say, hey, I'm gonna look at this galaxy or this object or this source. We take in a uh, spectra of everything that's out there in a region. And so we're looking at, this. no one has really has done this in, in this way before. That's partly why we get so many objects out there is because we don't have what we call selection effects. We don't have to do any type of pre-selection. We just take an image of the full sky and go from there. And that's one very powerful technique because the previous surveys may have been biased towards particular objects that an individual wants to look at. Since we have no discrimination in sources, we are, you know, we, we get everything. Um, yeah, from what I gather, there, there were like there were two hundred thousand of these objects. I, I think um, these astronomical objects that were discovered by the um, the virus um, instrument, um, the visible IFU replicable unit spectrograph. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I guess one of the highlights, maybe that, that I gather from the study, are these Lyman Alpha emitter galaxies. Can you yeah. um, could you could you speak to like what? And you touched on this. In that, in that their distance, uh, you know, even getting a distance of where they are, uh, or how far away they are from the Earth, um, is, is important, right? But could you could you touch on what what is the interest in these galaxies, and, and, and what do we hope to learn from them? Our target galaxies are Lyman alpha emitters, and what these are, these are galaxies that have active star formation, and the most abundant element in the universe and in stars is hydrogen. And one of the strongest transitions by far in the hydrogen atom is the Lyman alpha transition. And so whenever you have activity in a star, it will generate Lyman alpha photons. And those are exactly the ones that we are trying to detect. So we're, we are observing stars that are about 10 billion light years away, uh, and they were actively forming uh, they're, and they're actively forming and generating a lot of these Lyman alpha photons. So that's why we call them Lyman alpha emitters, because it just happens to be a galaxy that has a lot of young stars that are generating this um, uh, hydrogen gas and emitting Lyman alpha photons. What's important about them is that, you know, hydrogen is everywhere. So uh, we can we can detect them in all types of galaxies. And what our goal is here is to make this giant map of the universe. And once we make that map, then we can use that map to tell us how the universe expands over time. And that's what we're ultimately after is how fast the universe is expanding, because that feeds back into why is it doing that? And one of those big mysteries is trying to understand what dark energy is. That's the umbrella name that we use for why the universe is expanding. How it is. I'm hoping that you could maybe uh, speak to, yeah, dark energy, the Hobby Eberly uh, Telescope Dark Energy Experiment, HexX. The HET is out in, in West Texas, and uh, Virus has been purposely built for our survey, HetDex. And 
basically any time that the conditions are right uh, and the conditions are, you know, we have to have dark sky. We don't want the moon up. We don't want clouds in the way. Uh, we, we need, you know, good weather, but uh, you know, Hetex is the first priority uh, observations that are happening, happening on HET. And, and, you know, we're taking somewhere between uh you know, five and 600 hours of observations a year to collect our survey data. And so virus itself is composed of many, many instruments. It's, it's kind of remarkable if you, you see a picture of it. It's this massive uh, instrument on the side of a, a really, really large uh, telescope. We're taking this data every night, all the time. It's something that's going to take, you know, several years. We're we're nearing completion at this point, but we still have about two more years of observing to go to until we are are finished the observations to reach our requirements for the survey. Let me back up on the overall picture here, and then we can bring it into the instrument as well. The universe is expanding much faster than what we thought. Uh, and this has been borne out by observations over the last 10, 20 years. We don't understand why the universe is expanding the way it is. Models of what that might be could be a modification of gravity. It could be a modification of the fundamental Big Bang model. Or it could be there's a new type of particle out there that we don't understand, plus many other ideas. Uh, Einstein's idea of the cosmological constant is one of the base ones. Um, so we don't understand that. So a lot of projects are trying to measure that expansion rate to understand that. Hetex is taking a unique approach. Not only is the instrument unique, but the approach we're taking to understanding dark energy, the expansion rate is different. We are looking way back in time. We're looking 10 billion, 10 billion years away to try to understand what the expansion rate was doing then. We can compare that to what the expansion rate is doing now. And it's that a differential that feeds into models of what might be causing it. And so this is where we come in in order to measure that expansion rate. This is where we need this huge survey of the sky to make this giant map. And so as, as Aaron stated, we need a few things to make this work. So we need a huge instrument. A virus has uh, 35,000 fibers on the telescope. So it effectively takes 35,000 spectra at once. We take an image at one spot of 35,000 fibers, and then we go to another spot, another spot, another spot, another spot, and we tile the sky. So as also what Aaron said is we need this huge survey on the telescope. So we have the largest spectroscopic instrument on the planet by a significant fraction. We're, we're doing one of the longest surveys in terms of time. And then to analyze this data, we need the fastest computer we can get our hands on, and that's where TAC comes in. So TAC does all the data storage and all the data analysis for this giant survey. Could you speak maybe to um, so some of the challenges of working with that data and maybe um, what, what TAC um, was, has been able to do to help um, the collaboration, the Hetex collaboration, overcome some of these challenges. Right. So what's what's nice is our when our data comes off the telescope, the first thing it does once you know it comes off the instrument, it goes straight on a high speed line over to TAC. That's the first thing it does. <clears throat> so it stores. So TAC is storing and curating this data, but because it's so much spectra. And because we're looking, we have to look through every one in incredible detail. We need a huge amount of computer 
uh, of, of CPU in order to just to process that amount of data. Uh, and TAC has just been, we used to be problems that like probably five years ago, we were a big problem for TAC, but we've worked very hard with TAC and they've worked hard with us and we have streamlined our system. Now it's just working fantastically well. We can process years of data in a couple days, maybe a week of time on TAC. And we do this multiple times because we keep making mistakes, mainly because we keep wanting to improve things. And that's where um, attack comes in on the compute side. On the access side, so this is where Aaron uh, has done all the work and they've done these uh, Jupyter hubs. First, I mean, I did want to just emphasize that because we have the parallel computing, it, that's the only reason we can really analyze our, all our data and, and process it. You know, there's all these steps involved of cleaning the data. Then you have to calibrate the data. You know, there's a, a lot of really important things to astronomy because we are we're map making. Right. So we need to know the position uh, to our objects. We need to to calibrate the wavelength because that helps us to figure out the redshift, uh, you know, and the distances to these objects. And then the data itself, you know, the the resulting data products that we have, you know, there it's it's a, right currently it's it's sixty terabytes. In our next iteration, it's going to be a hundred terabytes of data that you know we want people to be able to access, and and that's where TAC is really helping us, um, because we're able to host our data releases on TAC and. Uh, we've been actually working a lot with them with their Jupyter Hub system, which is a relatively new system they have. If you've heard of Project Cineco, I, that's one of the words they've used for it. They have different ones. I can point you to the, the folks at TAC that are involved because they should should definitely, they would be good for you to interview as well because, you know, we've been um, guinea pigs with this Jupyter Hub. So, you know, our data is hosted on TAC. Internally, we all access it more in a traditional sense. But we also offer ways to access the data, uh, you know, for the public to access the data. So, you know, you can just go to a website and download it. What we've also been doing is creating this uh, Jupyter Hub. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jupyter Notebooks, but they offer these um, tailor-made tutorials for users. So when you have a really complex data set, you can get access one of these Jupyter Hub Notebooks and kind of go through it step by step. Um, and so for whatever analysis you need to do, you can kind of develop the hub for a user and lower the hurdle of figuring out, you know, this learning curve to accessing our really complex data because our data is really complex. And so they've helped us to, to create this system and offer it. And so with this catalog release, the AGN catalog and this latest one, which will be, you know, uh, published really, really soon, the Jupyter Hub system is now up for the public. So so anyone with, uh, you know, any academic can get a TAC account and then go on and access our data. And ultimately we're gonna let them access all our data. You know, this is just the catalog right now, but the future has so much potential because it's gonna offer this legacy potential of science. Um, and so TAC is really helping, you know, with setting that up. You've been listening to astronomers Aaron Mentuch Cooper and Carl Gebhardt of UT Austin. Supersized Science is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the hosts and not of the University of Texas at Austin. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar. <laughs>